Instead of value engineering, we're engineering value. Bringing you thought leadership on how to find success in U.S. manufacturing, this is Engineering Value, a Draper podcast. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Engineering Value, a podcast from Draper. I'm your host, Tyler Kern. Thank you so much for joining me here for this episode of the show today. Today, we're discussing display sizing and some of the trends that our expert guests have noticed in the industry. And speaking of those expert guests, let's introduce them to you now. First, we have Alan C. Braun. He's the principal at Braun Consulting. Alan, welcome to the show. Thanks for joining me. Thank you very much. It's uh, always a pleasure to be on shows like this, and especially with my good friend, Mr. Randy Reese. Well, speaking of Mr. Randy Reese, let's introduce him now as well. Randy Reese, the Director of Audiovisual Sales and Marketing at Draper. Randy, welcome to the program. Thanks for joining us. Thank you very much, Tyler. And I, and I reciprocate back with Alan for sure. We've had some great conversations and I look forward to another one. Well, I'm thrilled to get a chance to be a part of this episode uh, between two people that know so much in this industry and that have seen so much over the years. And Alan, speaking of that, you've noticed a trend in the industry when it comes to display sizing, uh, and you wrote a piece for uh, on this in uh, Commercial Integrator, uh, and you said you noticed a disturbing tendency. And I was wondering if you could lay out what that disturbing tendency is that you've noticed when it comes to display sizing. Yeah, actually, that's kind of cutting to the chase, Tyler, and, and, I, and I like the question. It's nice and clean. Uh, and, and, and it's broken up into the word tendency uh, and, and, and the word disturbing. Uh, as, as we were uh, talking before we came on the podcast today, uh, there's an old phrase that says that just because uh, you can do something doesn't mean you should do something. And, and that kind of speaks to this, this concept of, of, of tendency and, and maybe being a little disturbing. Uh, and, and, and my intention isn't to, uh, isn't to, to, to criticize my intention basically is, as people who've known me over the years, uh, is to educate and to make sure that everybody knows uh, what the rules are, what best practices are, and, and, and the tendency to, to, to do things that are, 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 are not necessarily in, in the best interest of the designer or of the end user. The tendency is, is frankly, human nature. Uh, we all kind of, you know, we get busy and we take the path of, of least resistance, if you will. So... My whole goal is, in writing the article was I want to make sure that everybody knows the rules so that they know what they can do and what they should do. And if we think about it, if the designer, the AV designers, and, and they're more important today than they've ever been before, if they know the rules, then they can use the standards to their and their clients' best advantage. And that's really what it's all about. So if if, for example, if you've got a room with an eight foot high ceiling, right? I mean, that's the common thing that we all talk about. That's the limitation. So the limitation is the height of the room, no matter what the standard is. So it is what it is. So therefore, some people will say the standard doesn't matter. I disagree. The standard does matter, right? So what we're talking about here is that if you know the standard and this is conveyed to the end user and you explain to the end user that you know, that, that this is the limitation that we're dealing with, but, but understand that I, as an AV designer, know what the rules and regulations are. And so we're going to have to accommodate something less than the standard in this particular application. So, for example, if we got an eight foot high uh, ceiling in a room, I'm not going to put in a 140 or 200 inch diagonal screen. It just won't fit. So what we're going to have to do is something less than that. 
But as professionals, we've got to adapt and know what the standards are. So adjustments might be made. So you can't put in a 140 inch screen or a 114 inch screen or whatever it might be. All I can put in is a, a 102 inch screen or a 78 inch screen or something of that nature. So we've got to understand the standard and then we can talk about the limitations, right? Uh, the limitations and, and, and adjustments can be made. That's what AV design is all about. If I can't put in a, as big a screen as I need for visual acuity, not a problem. We're going to adjust. Now, what can I do? Well, I've got content that I can adjust to. I've got font sizes I can adjust to. Uh, and, and even in the seating areas, a lot of people don't think about this. Uh, I can I can actually say, okay, fine. Here's the sweet spot in this viewing area that uh, is going to be for the people who are the most important to make sure that they get it, that they actually see all of the content on the screen. So AV design is, is about knowing standards. It's about adjustments. It's about doing the best they can uh, for, for their clients. And one size doesn't fit all. It, it's not that easy. It doesn't all fit in this nice little plug and play box, if you will. So where there are no limitations in physical space, hurrah, happy, happy, happy days. I can go in and I can do the formula, the discus formula. I know we're going to talk about that in a couple of minutes. We can talk about the discus formula and I can put in exactly the right screen size for exactly the right viewing distance for the right level of visual acuity. So hip, hip, hoorah in that case. But the bottom line here, Tyler, is to know the rules, how and when to use them most effectively for your design and for the benefit of your client. Just because you can doesn't mean you should is my theme. Anytime, uh, anytime Infocom is held in Las Vegas, I think that's a good uh, that's a good motto. Um, but uh, but Randy, I wanted to follow up and get your thoughts on on Alan's comments there uh, because he laid out a lot of fantastic stuff, and I wanted to get your your follow up thoughts. I could not agree more, and that that was a, a excellent summary of a lot of different things uh, that we're going to obviously delve into here. But I think he nails the point with. Uh, with we certainly don't want to criticize designers, uh, but we also want to to make sure that they understand uh, to not follow necessarily the path of least resistance, and to look at uh, the customer experience. The you know what's going to be best for the customer. Um, you know, flat panels grew quickly in in size and popularity. Uh, folks have them in their homes. Uh, end users familiar with them. Uh, that became a very popular uh, solution for a, a, a situation. Uh, the room I'm in right now actually has a, a flat panel, uh, but it's a small huddle room, which we'll talk about a little more too, I'm sure in the end. But uh, again, with end users being more familiar with them, sometimes it's a it's more of an easy solution. One thing that, that I would stress too is I, I know, I mean, I come from a little different point of view because I've been with Draper for uh, since 1998. So I've uh, been selling projection for some number of years. And one thing I noticed when I went into a lot of the rooms that would have flat panels uh, is obviously the, the screen size wasn't adequate for the situation. And I know Alan mentioned the, the, the uh, DISCA standard, which we'll get into a little more in detail. But um, one thing I noticed in a, a couple of rooms, honestly, I saw the, uh, the room you'd see people looking and, and they'd say, well, generally speaking, we would we would hand out copies of what was on the screen because it wasn't easily viewed. So those are the kind of things we want to eliminate if possible. There are restrictions, uh, as Alan mentioned, there are some times when you have restrictive ceiling heights, things of that nature. 
but uh, you don't want to be in a situation where you're selling a, a, a display in a room and also selling a copier with it to accommodate the room. Yeah, that's that's an excellent point, Randy, and I, I think you put that really, really well. And so, um, Alan, as we as we were talking earlier, you mentioned a lot about standards. And, and so, when it comes to uh, these rooms and, and these different facilities, how do you determine the proper display size required for a given space? Talk me through those standards. Well, it, again, as we were we were speaking about, uh, you know, before the podcast, the, the standards are are kind of the holy grail. We look at standards as not something that we have to do, but it's almost aspirational in nature, if you think about it. For a whole lot of years, and I mean a lot of years, we use the 468 rule, right? And the 468 rule was how, how, how many uh, units of, of distance you were away from the height of the display. So you could be eight feet away from it, you could have good general viewing, and six feet you saw a little more detail, and uh, four feet, you saw a lot of detail. So everybody was kind of fat, dumb, and happy with the 468 rule for a lot of years. But but the point was that this was okay for a ballpark estimate, but it wasn't scientific. Uh, and, and again, as we were talking about earlier, Tyler, um, uh, as Randy knows, what, this, what the industry is going towards is uh, laws of physics, uh, putting science uh, forth, uh, put, putting forth science and actual numbers and math to maybe best practices and things that we've done over the years. So the 468 rule was a, a great rule of thumb and a, a general practice. And sometimes it, it does get us in the ballpark. There's no doubt about it. But the science says that we've got to base this all on visual acuity. Now, we're not just talking about the Snell and eye chart here, right? Uh, but we're talking about the, the visual acuity. We're talking about mathematic formulas. And this is what this, this discus standard is all about. So it involves viewing distance, visual acuity, and a lot of math. Now, let me be the first to tell you, and people that know me know, that I will never be confused with a math major. So this discus uh, process, uh, and, and I was having a discussion with my son Jonathan about it, and I said, well, it was three years, and he says, no, Pop. He says, I think it was, it was, it was over four years in the making. I kid you not. By the way, the process, just so that everybody knows, Tyler, uh, the process is that uh, the that Avixa hires or doesn't hire, they uh, select, it's all volunteer. There's no money passing hands here. It's not pay to play in any sense. So what they do is they get a volunteer. I was the moderator for the projected image system contrast ratio standard. And then we pick a whole bunch of people to, to, to uh, be on the committee. Then what we do is we have a lot of phone calls, uh, pre-Zoom, uh, thank you. Uh, we have a lot of phone calls and, and, and video and audio conferences and things like that. But then we get together on live events and we actually do scientific testing. So so this one in the case of discus was done by a lot of really highly qualified subject matter experts, including, by the way, a, a Ph.D. in math out of AVISPL. Uh, and they all came up with formulas. Now, I'm not going to bore everybody with the math because full disclosure, I only understand about a third of it. Uh, and I mean, I can actually send you all the mathematical formulas. And there's some of you that might understand all of it. And like me, you're probably going to understand a third or, le or less of it. But it basically boiled down uh, to this. It basically boiled down to, 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 to two uh, 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 viewing criteria or categories, if you will. We had the BDM or basic decision making. 
And, and, and this is where it gets cool. And so, and so I don't want to rush through this. I, the BDM basic bit of, of, of viewing was in the 468 rule. It was kind of like the six and the eight part of the 468 rule. In other words, I could see detail, but I couldn't see a lot of detail. So the BDM or basic de decision um, uh, uh, matrix, matrix was image height, the height, not the diagonal, image height equals the furthest viewing distance divided by 200. Now, 200 was this math, and believe me, I can send you all the formulas if you want. You will go to sleep. Mm -hmm. But divided by 200, that's the visual acuity factor by a percent element height. Now, the interesting thing, Tyler, in the percent element height, and this is where it kind of gets a little bit fuzzy for a lot of people, uh, is the percent element height is just what you think. How big a height is that font or that graphic or whatever on the screen? But that's basic decision-making. Now, ADM or analytical decision-making is the, the four in the four, six, eight, if you will. And that means I can see details. We're talking about architectural drawings. We're talking about medical. We're talking about uh, Google Maps. We're talking about all this detailed stuff, right? And that's the image height equals the image resolution, 1080, 4K, whatever it might be. Image height equals image resolution by the furthest viewing distance divided by, here's your visual acuity factor again, 3,438, 3438. That's the acuity factor. Now, for all of you who either are in design or are design wannabes, keep in mind, if you have a combination of basic decision-making and analytical decision-making, you use the ADM formula uh, as your standard. And so from knowing this data, the design can proceed. And that's really, we've gone from four, six, eight, rule of thumb, people still use it, up to the actual scientific standards that tells you the viewing distance to give you the proper visual acuity, depending upon uh, your decision-making uh, needs. Fascinating stuff, uh, absolutely. So, Randy, talk to us about uh, standards from your perspective as well. Uh, you know, I, for me, math not my thing, but uh, much like Alan. But, uh, but Randy, from your perspective, uh, how do you implement these standards? Well, I think I, I think Alan hits the point that you know we, we want to look at the science, the math, uh, and and use those to our advantage. And and he mentioned the uh, the, uh, the the content as being the, one of the most important uh, aspects of what's going to be viewed. I think what we're seeing today is more and more of the content being viewed is, is going to, to be the more particular content, the things that people see, spreadsheets, those kind of things. And, uh, and if, if it's used a percent of the time, then I think we want to go with the more, uh, the, the more uh, scrutinized uh, image ratio or the, the more, uh, particular ratio. So I think that's one thing that we, we constantly look at, but I think the science and the math is absolutely correct. Uh, again, we hit on the size of the room. Uh, if you've got, if, if you've got limitless ceiling height, things like that, you can look at those things, but then the ceiling comes into play too. So that's the one thing I would add is, is we want to look at that too, from our standpoint, that's why we look at some of our ceiling recess screens make those screens to fit a standard nine, 10 foot ceiling height so that we can perfectly fit those into a, uh, to accommodate those mass standards. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a great point, Randy. And I'm glad that you, you brought up that example. And, and 
Uh, I suppose, Alan, from the get-go, what, what you've been saying is that, is that standards are basically developed in a lab, you know, and, and you have these, these perfect uh, standards that, that, that will work, but then you go out into the real world and we know that the real world is not a lab situation, right? You have constraints, you have other factors that come into it. Is that basically what prevents people from following these standards on a more regular basis? Actually, Tyler, you set up that question absolutely perfectly, in my opinion, uh, because it is the difference between something that is is done in a in, in a more controlled environment, uh, and and it gives you uh, it gives you uh, math, it gives you data, it gives you something. It's like attribution, as 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 Randy knows. I, I write a lot of articles, and I do a lot of research for my articles, and I attribute. Uh, you know, uh, the, the wisdom in, in, in many of my articles to people who are a lot smarter than I will ever be. And, and attribution is, is one of the, the key factors uh, in standards. You want to use the standard as a point of attribution to say this would be, quote, unquote, perfection. Sans the ability to give us perfection, then here's what we're going to have to do to get us as close to perfection as humanly possible. So there are a lot of factors, but I guess probably the biggest one, other than, than taking the path of least resistance, which is human nature for all of us, but probably the biggest factor, the reason more people don't use the, um, uh, the DISCUS standard in, in, in kind of their everyday lives, although more and more are, uh, I might add. Um, uh, there are 14,000 people, by the way, who have CTS certifications. Uh, and so a lot of the people uh, in, in our industry are getting certified and they're paying more and more and more attention to standards. But, but other than taking the path of least resistance, I think one of the things is just the physical space itself. Uh, I think that you can, uh, you can take a look at, um, uh, at, at a practical application, and I know we're going to talk about that in a few minutes, a practical application of the standard, and you can say, well, the standard just doesn't fit. The standard just doesn't fit. And so if you have three or four projects where, uh, you know, you can't apply 100% of the standard, then you tend to kind of back off a little bit. You kind of say, oh, well, the heck with it. I'm just, uh, I'm just not even going to take the time doing the math and doing the calculations and all of this. I'm just going to re revert back to either the 468 rule or I'm going to just put as big a screen. By the way, and I, I think Randy would agree with this, I've never had a time in my nearly four decades in the industry where a customer ever came to me and said, oh, my goodness, Alan, you put too big a screen in the room. Hasn't happened yet. Not saying it won't. It hasn't, hasn't, hasn't transpired yet. And, and of course, so the, the physical space, Tyler, is 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 one of those things, one of those constraints that we deal with. So I think that's the, the biggest hesitation. Uh, hiccup in the giddy up, as my friends down in Texas might say. Uh, but if it's new construction, boy, we got a free hand and the space allocation and we can do whatever we want to do. Um, and so 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 that existing space and its limitations uh, create what you can and cannot do. But the the real keys to the kingdom then comes with that designer, not just opting out for something that's uh, you know, a, an off-the-shelf standard size of some kind of a display. Let 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 me let me give you a concrete example of what I'm talking about. Let's yeah. say that you've got a room and you've got an eight-foot uh, tall ceiling, Tyler. That eight-foot tall ceiling, and you go, well, gee, I'm I'm not going to put a, a particularly big screen. So why don't I just go ahead and put a 75-inch flat panel in? And that may be great. That may be great depending on the size of the room. I am not anti-flat panel. Even though I grew up in the projection industry, I'm not anti-flat panel at all. But from a design point of view, what if that the biggest 
practical screen I could put in that room was 87 inches. And it's an ADM situation and a lot of detail. Don't I want to put a screen in that room that's 87 or 89 or 91 or 93? And that's where the designer's talent comes into play. Now, obviously, it's not just screen size. Obviously, we have things like ambient light and, and, and all of these viewing angles for the, the viewers and all of that. But the point I guess I'm trying to make is that, that let's not take the quick way out. Let's understand the standard. Let's do the math, especially ADM, because it's a simple formula. You don't have to, to really go into, into apoplexy there. And let's figure out what's, what size of screen would be perfect. And then let's get as close to perfection, Tyler, as we possibly can. Randy, any follow-up? I do have a follow-up because he, he had a couple of points I thought were outstanding. One was the, uh, uh, the fact that he's never been told that the screen was too large. Uh, <laughs> I, I wholeheartedly agree, Alan, that that's, uh, that's a comment that I've never heard either. Uh, and we have consultants standing by to look at those custom sizes where we can accommodate those different, uh, different requirements that you might have. The other thing I would throw in is, uh, is education of the industry and, and things that where we can go out and Alan's done a great job. Alan and Jonathan done a great job of going out and educating the, the marketplace. But from a, from a company standpoint, Draper, we, we also do that and need to do that even more uh, so that we educate the folks of, uh, out there, the design community, you know, these are the things that are available. Uh, let us help you. Uh, and, and I think that comes with the going back to the math and the science, the size of the screen, uh, also the screen surface technology. Uh, those are the other things that's uh, changed a lot in the last 20 years. So some different variations that we can help accommodate and, and give the give the uh, who we want to have our client, the end user, the customer uh, the best experience possible. Alan, so if maybe if I'm understanding you correctly so far, uh, I would assume that you would say that there are certain scenarios where a projector might be better, a projection might be better than a flat panel just for that given scenario. Is that correct? And if so, what are some of the scenarios where projectors just might be the better fit? Well, yeah, it, it is correct. And again, uh, uh, you know, uh, even, even my friend uh, Randy Reese, uh, you know, he said it earlier, uh, we're not anti-flat panel by any way, shape or form. Uh, it, it, and we really aren't. But what we have to do as designers is we have to take a look at the actual installation. And then we have to take a look at obviously the environment, but we have to take a look at the viewer and we have to take a look at content. If there's a whole lot of content that's high resolution, then we really, uh, and, and it doesn't have to be just something like uh, x-rays in, in medical applications, or uh, but it could be architectural drawings. It could be details in uh, graphic images, just ad infinitum, ad nauseum about the need to, to have the proper visual acuity, seeing the content in the way the content was intended to be presented on the screen. So there are cases where uh, projection might be superior. Uh, in my article, I, I, I gave uh, an example of a of, of a room that was, you know, the, the furthest viewing distance was 22 feet away. Now, in all the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of systems designs that I've done over the years and, and, and people that I've worked with have done over the years, that's a very common situation. And if we took a, like a 1080p, uh, you know, 1080p resolution projector, uh, uh, and I know we're in 4K and even 8K today, but if well, let's just take a, a, a quote-unquote old <laughs> 1080p projector, right? 
uh, and, and, we, and we put it up on the wall and we took a look at the ADM factor and we did the math and no, I'm not going to go over it again, but we did the math. Then the math comes out to we need a 14.1 inch diagonal screen or 168 inches. Now, if I had all the height in the room to, to, uh, to, to just waste, it was new construction, I'm fat, dumb and happy. But what if I didn't? What if it was a nine foot or a 10 foot high ceiling and nine and 10 feet are not uncommon in a commercial application? Then what I want to do is I want to maximize the ability to put a display image on that wall and it may not fall within a standard configuration. And that's really where projection and some of the new screen technologies that companies like Draper have at their disposal that's really what we're talking about. And so, and so the takeaway from my article is that Avixa and Discus, uh, they, they created a standard so that we had something as the holy grail, best practices, quote unquote perfection. Uh, this was a, uh, you know, this was uh, something that we, that we really, uh, 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 want to attain as close to as possible. But if we can't in the real world, then we've got to adjust accordingly. And to be honest with you, that's where projection and screen technologies come into play. Yeah, Randy, go ahead. Uh, you know, you, you heard Alan uh, mention Draper there by name and, uh, and some of the things that you're doing in this area to, to maximize uh, the ability of projector screens and projectors. Uh, talk to us a little bit about that and, and give us your thoughts on, uh, on Alan's comments. Well, listening to Alan's comments, the key word that came to my mind is flexibility, mm -hmm. is the, the ability for us to adjust and, and to do things based on the requirement of that project and what, what can we do. And that's that's for the size of the uh, requirement and also for the screen surface needed for the requirement. So uh, I, I think, you know, flexibility is the key. Uh, we can we can accommodate those types of, of situations. And uh, just like those, uh, what restaurant was it that said, uh, you know, we don't we make your uh, order uh, by hand as it goes rather than have it on the shelf. So that's exactly what we do with projection screens. You know, we don't uh, we don't keep them around. Uh, we make them to order and get them out to you. And by the way, we're getting them out quickly right now. <laughs> I like I like that. I, I like the the food example, although it makes me a little hungry. But uh, I think that's a I think that's a great way to put it. Uh, what is it? We don't make it until you order it. Something like that. Um, is that Burger King or somebody? Huh? Something like that. Amen. We might have to do some investigation. I'm sure someone <laughs> watching right now is is screaming the answer at their computer screen. But apologies, we, we can't remember the the right fast food restaurant. But that that's a great point, Randy. That's that's absolutely a great point. So, Alan, is it too simple for me to just say that the challenge is you know balancing factors like resolution, ambient light, uh, price. Uh, all together and and kind of once you balance those types of things then you're able to find the right solution for you is that maybe an oversimplified way of thinking about it yeah I, I think it's it's fair to, to say that that's a little bit too simplistic and that's the way by the way uh, you know a, a lot of end users just take a look at it and all they do is take a look at price you know that's that's kind of where it stops and starts with them but, right. but from, from the design perspective uh, uh, of course prices and budgets are always going to be in play. But the first challenge and the responsibility of the designer, and I cannot even possibly explain how important the designer is today, uh, even more so maybe than when I started. 
And the reason is because they have to account for all of the technologies that go into the in, into the room. Uh, we we do not really live in an environment where it's safe to say that it's plug and play, and it's probably never going to be uh, plug and play. So the responsibility of, of the designer uh, is to focus, pun intended. It doesn't get any uh, doesn't get any uh, more horrible than my horrible puns. But it, it needs to focus on the content and the viewer position and the distance. And then you work from there. So it's not about selecting just a high resolution and bright display. It's knowing the requirements of the project and understanding all of the tools at the disposal of the designer and coming up with the best possible solution. I, I, I do want to add one final thing, Tyler, onto that note, uh, because obviously when we're talking about projection and projection is is still exciting. It's with us. Uh, if you if you if you really want to see some cool stuff, look at projection mapping. You really want to see some other cool stuff, look at edge blending. Uh, you know, we talk about being able to customize and being flexible with the size of screens and everything. But one of my pet peeves, and and I'm not going to go off on a tangent exactly, but uh, my tangential comment to everybody listening to this is that projector companies. Uh, don't know as much as they need to know about screens. Screen companies do know about projectors. And so it is the it is the marriage, the combination, the symbiosis of that projector and the screen that makes it all work. And today we have screen technologies. We have screen technologies we never had before. We have different abilities to give different um, uh, reflective natures, uh, like an ambient light rejection screen. Uh, we've got the ability to give uh, different viewing angles. So you take that bright projector, you take that wonderful mount, and you you put the projector where it needs to be. But now the screen comes into play, and that's your variable. And we have literally a plethora of screen surfaces and technologies at our disposal. It, it, it is incumbent on all of us to use standards, to use the projection technology, and to use the screen technology to give that customer the absolute best experience that we can. Randy, follow-up thoughts to, to that. I mean, uh, I, I think Alan put that very, very well. Absolutely, and I think the marriage between the proper projector and the proper screen uh, obviously gives you the uh, the flat panel look out there for sure. And and mm. we have the abilities now with our Tech Vision line of fabrics. We can, you know, we've got five ambient light re reflecting surfaces uh, that we can accommodate the various uh, situations depending on the the environment. Uh, so those are some excellent points that he made regarding the uh, the marriage of those two. Two products, and and I, I think those are some things that we're working too within our company uh, with projector manufacturers. How do we how do we relate better? How do we talk to the? Uh, I mentioned earlier the education of the uh, the the design community. Those are some really key factors that we want to do out there. One thing I want to mention. Uh, I know we're getting close to time here, but I want to mention one other thing: is uh, there are various situations, and and we certainly you know LCD is out there. It's it's a, it's a display option, uh, a, a great option in many cases. Uh, so is direct view LED. So those are some things, too, that we're doing at Draper right now, too, as, as well. Uh, we've been talking about uh, mainly the projection side of the equation. But as far as the uh, audiovisual mounts and structures and the ability to provide a mounting solution, uh, Draper can do that now, too. So it's something that we're, we're really focusing in on and making sure that that we provide a solution 
for the customer that provides the best experience. Well, I think you both uh, put that really, really well and, and did a fantastic job explaining this concept today and explaining the, the various factors that have to be thought through and the, the way that you have to look at these, uh, this, this equation, basically, um, and how you take it from that ideal setting of a, uh, of a standard and applying it to the real world setting. Uh, so gentlemen, I'd love to get any final thoughts, any conclusions that you have that you want to leave with the, uh, the audience today. Alan, let's start with you. Is there anything that uh, either we haven't covered yet or, or that you really want to make sure that it stays with the audience after this episode uh, today? Yeah, uh, thanks for uh, letting letting us wrap this up and thanks for being a, an excellent moderator, Tyler. Uh, the, the the issue that we've got is, is we changed our name from the International Communication Industry Association to Infocom and then it, it morphed into Avixa. And although some people didn't like the Avixa name, uh, I actually loved it and I do love it. And because it's the AV experience, and so everybody that's listening to this podcast needs to understand that everything we do needs to go down the path with the final destination being that AV experience. And so that AV experience, we are still, with no disrespect to my friends in the, in the world of audio, we are still first uh, a, a visual uh, a medium in AV, if we will. Uh, and And... The, the visual manifestation of, of that experience is what this is all about. So I would urge everybody to understand standards, understand specification, understand performance, but ultimately understand that our job is to give that end user the best experience that we can. Excellent stuff, Alan. Uh, Randy, uh, take us home today. Uh, any final thoughts? Well, talking about video as the uh, uh, as the ultimate is music to my ears. So uh, <laughs> we'll, we'll go from that. And and I would say the other thing too, a final thought is uh, what we're trying to do at Draper too is provide educational materials. I mentioned it a couple of different times, but I just want to stress that uh, we want to be a, a solution provider. Uh, and a resource to the design community. Uh, we've got several different uh, options on our website that you can take a look at. Our Pro Toolbox is available that gives you some, like the projection planner, which helps designers to uh, find the correct screen size as well as the correct screen surface to marry up with that projection. Uh, and again, just stress again that we can also, if, if an LCD video wall or a LED video wall is a solution that's needed for that uh, requirement, then we can step in and, and provide that as well. So again, draperinc.com is our website. Uh, if anybody has any questions, feel free to reach out to the website or me. Love to talk. And uh, uh, it's, a, it's a great industry and we're very happy to be a part of it for uh, over 60 years. Well, and uh, you both brought uh, so much expertise and insight to uh, to the podcast today, and so I appreciate both of you joining us here for this episode of Engineering Value. Alan C. Braun and Randy Reese. Gentlemen, thank you again so much for joining us here for this episode of the show. Thank you, Tyler. Thank you, Randy. Thank you, Tyler. Thank you, Alan. Appreciate it. Have a great Absolutely. day. Absolutely. Everyone, thank you for tuning into this episode of Engineering Value as well. You heard Randy give the uh, the uh, the website, draperinc.com, draperinc.com for more information on Draper, their products. And if you want to get in touch and ask questions to people like Randy to get their expertise on, uh, on your particular solutions and making sure that the end user uh, ends up with the best possible experience. Again, draperinc.com is the website. And stay tuned for more episodes of Engineering Value. We are thrilled you joined us for this one. You can subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify to stay up to date with the latest from Draper and stay tuned. We'll be back soon with more episodes and more insights like what you heard here today. But for this one, for my fantastic guests, I've been your host today, Tyler Kern. Thank you for joining us.